640 Toronto presents Think Tank. The breaking stories you care about. Facts and opinions that get you through the day. Now, let's meet the guests. Oh, let's do that. It's uh, got that Friday feeling to it. Let's check in with the host of the Roy Green Show. He's emphatic. He's a great listen, 2 to 5, across our great country, and 2 to 5 on Sunday as well. He is Roy Green. Good morning, Roy. Hey, Greg. Good morning. Uh, it's great to have you. And Ben Mulrooney joins us as well. You can hear him on Toronto this weekend, tomorrow morning and Sunday morning between 7 and 10. Ben, I know I know you guys chase the big guests. This raccoon in Toronto, we don't, we don't know his status. I know you're trying to book this raccoon for 7, 10 tomorrow morning. There's no, I want to see a body. I'm getting suspicious yeah. about this. Gregory, uh, I'm glad you brought that up first. I have my own personal uh, issues with the raccoons in this city. They made life unlivable in my home for the better part of a season. It, uh, it was such a big story that we built a, an entire graphic for day-to-day updates uh, on my former television show. Uh, so, uh, listen, this is, this, this is the choke point. One single raccoon can make life unlivable for 7,000 Torontonians. But I have a question for you and for Roy. I just wonder whether it would behoove us as a society to investigate if this was part of a larger strategy by this highly motivated, coordinated, and undoubtedly nefarious band of furry masked pirates to bring this city to its knees. Yeah, these trash pandas, as they're sometimes called. I don't no, think I no, said no, anything no. wrong we, there. I'll find out around 9.05 this morning if I did. Greg. Right. They deserve far more respect than being called trash pandas. This is an organized <laughs> group. They have an agenda. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they, they're, they're yeah. a street gang or they're a gang. It's a gang. Yeah. It's yeah. really a gang culture with raccoons. I'm glad you but brought that up, Roy. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, let me just pitch in here. Because <laughs> I, I don't quite know what to say. Am I supposed to laugh <laughs> at something that isn't funny? Have fences gone out of style? Or are they harmful to the climate? Look, I'm guessing the raccoon isn't doing too well following the loopy a raccoon made contact with equipment statement by Hydro One. No one speaks plain English any longer, guys. And then I hear the condition of the raccoon is unknown. Look. The only way they know it was a raccoon is because they found it dead. It's time for proper negotiations with wildlife as our urban sprawl continues to push animals from their accustomed territory. I live in Burlington, and I constantly receive admonitions from the city that under no circumstance am I or other residents to feed scavenging coyotes. And I can only imagine the city council meeting and the money misspent that came up with that one. So, again, my question is, how did the raccoon get close enough to hydro equipment to cause a blackout for 7,000 Toronto residents. F-E-N-C-E-S. Build them. You got it, Roy. And I want to see, I want to see the hydro box. I want to see the fencing. And yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm like uh, the uh, principal Rooney in Ferris Bueller's day off. I kind of want to see a body before I let Sloan Peterson (laughs) out for the day to go to the, to go to the Cubs game with Ferris Bueller and Cameron. I'm not going to allow that. I need to see a corpse. Gregory, you get bonus points for starting the day with a Ferris Bueller's Day Off reference. Well done, sir. <laughs> I mean, this raccoon, Roy, could be like Bruce Willis in Die Hard. He's snipping wires. He's cutting power. He's, oh, yeah. he's killing oh, yeah. terrorists left and right. So I don't know that this raccoon hasn't, if it's currently unknown, if it's, if it's escaped, we need to know that as well. What's next? You On know, Groundhog Day, you'd be more likely to, you know, to, to cause some cost some stuff that, that that's your kind of a rival in the uh, in the under underworld of uh, of rodents if you will look i hear you both because when i lived out in the country in quebec I and mean, i was really rural the raccoons used to come 
when we were having dinner, they would get on the window ledge on the outside and actually <laughs> tap on the window. It's like, what about us? Yeah. And then if but, we didn't uh, but, feed them, they would leave a deposit just to let us know how they felt about us. Well, but, uh, Greg, I got, I, I've got to say, so when I, when I had my issues with the raccoons, um, the, the, the city's uh, onerous, uh, the, the responsibilities that they would place on a homeowner were nonsensical, where they would come, they would make their home inside your house. And then when you got rid of them, when you finally got somebody to come find them, root around, um, break down walls, spend a ton of money to get rid of them, you were told that it was against city regulations to remove them from the, the space around your house because the mom had to be able to come back and find them. And, and so we did that. And what did the mom do? She waited until everybody left and came back in the house. And then by the time I was able to get them out a second time, I was told, well, now they're, they're, they're too big for us to remove from the house. I said, but that's because you let them back in the house. And we, we see this time and time again where the, where the, um, the, the respect to the, the homeowner is not afforded to them. And, uh, and so we're sort of getting we're so the chickens have come home to roost. We have let yeah. these we have we, we've treated we've treated these animals with way too much respect. If I'm on the hook for almost 10, a 10 percent increase in my property tax. Guess what? I'm, I'm probably going to take the law into my own hands and find somebody who's going to take them out to the country. next time. I, I'm sure all our listeners, by so the way, farm. by the way, the Ben, I'm sure always take those tick dogs. <laughs> I'm sure all our listeners, and it's probably spinning in Roy's head as well. Um, is this a shared marital responsibility in the Mulrooney household? Like this, you know, forever and ever, amen, to, in sickness and health, raccoons or otherwise? Or is this a oh, Ben thing? No, yeah. we, no we, are, we are of one mind and of one mission, and is to protect this house <laughs> against marauders of all kinds. Uh-huh. Okay. So ben, ben, ben and his significant other put on the camo gear, get the face paint on. <laughs> <laughs> get out there. That's, that's, that, that's their ben, own business, Roy. Um, ben, ben, you can't win the battle against the raccoons. <laughs> yeah, what they do in, in their uh, in their private. Oh, right, whatever, whatever. All right, let's go to the Ford government here. Uh, why not? Uh, there's a there's a man of the people also. Doug Ford and the Ontario government, Ben, notes they'll send Toronto $100 million in conditional funding as part of the 26 FIFA World Cup. We know this deal has been oft criticized. MLSE can make money. The city can't. But the province will do this, Ben, if it gets money from the federal government. My ask to you is, are you worried at all that, you know, whether or not we deem the federal liberals as a lame duck with a potential election next year, are they going to pony up and, and give the money as well, like the Ford government, so we can have a proper set of games here? I mean, look, it, 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 I, I, the song and dance that we hear on almost every single file, whether it be homelessness, the housing affordability crisis, who's responsible for food prices going up, that one level of government is always passing the buck to another level of government. And so I, I, I'm getting a little tired of this. Um, it, it is a lame duck uh, uh, um, government in Ottawa. And look, two and a half, the, the World Cup is two and a half years away. Chances are there's going to be another a, a different party in power. We, 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 hear, we hear people talk about uh, investments all the time. It seems to me that being part of the largest, most popular, most motivating uh, and exciting um, uh, sporting event in the world will yield knock-on effects. Uh, mm. So, so uh, on its face, it seems to me that whatever money that we put into infrastructure and building out the city and making it World Cup ready will pay dividends if we plan properly, if the details mm. are are uh, are properly tended to. So I, I, I'm actually not worried that whatever money we put in isn't. We're not going to see it at restaurants, at hotels, um, p- uh, at, at the airport. 
Um, but it, it, with everything these days, the devil is in the details. And more often than not, it feels like we just skip over that part in favor of an announcement of a big check. Roy, you're a sports fan and you love big events, uh, but you know and I know there's always um, roadblocks and people demonstrating in the streets when Toronto's tried to bid for the Olympics before. We spent $2.5 billion in 2015, $342 million of that was provincial money for the Pan Am Games. And again, that's not exactly the elite of the elite. It's not an Olympics. It's not a best on best, really. How do you view that sort of relationship with government and spending on sporting events? People do like to have nice things. It's what makes big cities sometimes. Yeah, it's the shiny object. Look, we're talking about five or six games, maybe maybe seven. Mm-hmm. Let's keep that in mind. And Ottawa has said, or at least Ontario has said, 97 million conditional dollars for the World Cup. And the money's only going to be made available to erect building lasting infrastructure if that takes yeah. place. How about needing public, uh, needed public infrastructure? But that's a whole other issue. And the private sector may not become the main benefactor. There's your expected and on-time political disclaimer. The private (laughs) sector may not become the main benefactor. Meanwhile, I just wrote down some notes here. The city is urged to limit public investment in the World Cup. You can't have it both ways. Uh, The the private sector is okay for that, I guess. Look, the feds must match provincial funding or Queen's Park will not open its wallet. It's Ottawa's actual response, which I'm anticipating, Namely, the World Cup will be an opportunity to advance Canada's priorities on the world stage. And I wonder what that may be. So here's my conclusion. What do you suppose, and you touched on this just now, Greg, Mm -hmm. what do you suppose the eventual cost of staging the maybe half dozen games at BMO Field will eventually be? And you know what? That brings us right back to the strapped taxpayer. Yeah, it does. And it's... Ben, there's no way around it. I think Roy put it put it so eloquently. There is, It's very chicken and egg. You're going to have half the population say, I don't even like soccer. I can't afford to go to those games. What's the point? And we see this all the time in the States. Oh, this Major League Baseball team is going to move unless we get tax dollars for a new stadium. The Buffalo Bills, by the way, have done this constantly to get either funding upgrades or the potential new stadium now. there It's always been that pitch battle about big-time events and facilities and tax dollars. Yeah, but, uh, and, and for the record, Roy puts everything eloquently, um, <laughs> but I think um, uh, one of the reasons they're so successful is because I think the Americans appreciate, as I called it, the knock-on effects of having uh, that, that, that um, top-of-the-line infrastructure that brings people into these sporting events. They know that, look, the population of Buffalo should not be able to sustain on its own an NFL team. If it was population alone, Toronto would have one. If everything else it's yeah. the people who travel in to Buffalo that make that a, a self-sustaining uh, industry. And they, they recognize the global appeal of the NFL and how people will mm. travel for a single game and spend a couple of days there. The World Cup in a city like Toronto, with its multicultural population base, with people who come from all over, where soccer is life. This There yeah. is, I think, I mean, look, and we could do a study. I wouldn't mind a study around yeah. this. And I'm not the biggest fan of studies, but like you've seen how in certain countries and in certain communities, they stop everything to go enjoy these games, even the early games, uh, as part of a community in a restaurant, on the streets. They'll set yeah. up 
They'll erect TVs, uh, t- uh, TVs on the street, turn it into street parties. There is money to be made beyond what's going to go, what's going to happen at BMO Field. And so uh, I'm optimistic, but I'm, I'm also realistic that when these plans are put into place, politicians will earmark a certain amount of money and blow past it with. Um, yes, yes. In short order. Well, look, you just you just you just touched on it. I mean, you just hit the core, Ben. In the United States, it's let's get it done. Let's move ahead. There's money to be made. Let's get it done in Canada. What are we getting today? Governments will spend, but only conditionally. Yeah. Now, and I will say, I've been. We to, can't put our foot on the gas in this country. I, I've been to these. I've been to a couple World Cups uh, abroad. I've been to France for it. I've been to the Euros. These things can turbocharge Toronto's tourism, and we need it right now. Look at look. We got people in for the NHL All Star Game last night, and we spent the first five minutes chatting about a raccoon that knocked out power. <laughs> And people are like, does this happen all the time? What, what, like, what kind of podunk town of six million people in the GTA uh, is this? I, I want I want to move on to um, uh, Danielle Smith, who you frequently have on, on your show. She obviously got some applause and got some darts uh, fired her way. She unveiled parental rights policies. I want you guys to hear Marcy Ian from the liberal government, uh, Toronto's uh, Trudeau's Minister for Women and Gender Equality and Youth, reacting to Danielle Smith's announcement on Wednesday. I have to tell you, I was struck by the soft tone. I was struck by the almost spa-like music that accompanied it. And then the vitriol that it was. To focus in on the most vulnerable segment of our society is reprehensible. I also want to draw a line to what happened last week because I think it bears saying that in Alberta, the Premier welcomed Tucker Carlson. And Tucker Carlson espoused far-right views. That's not surprising, but it was homophobic, it was anti-trans, anti-queer, and the Premier validated that. And here we are days later with this policy or policies or guidelines that squarely denigrate trans kids, trans youth. Okay, that's Marcy. And Ben, I want to give you you the leadoff spot here. Let me know what you think of the policy and the liberal reaction to it. Well, well, firstly, Danielle Smith has not done herself any favors by um, sort of uh, subscribing to some some kooky views in the past. And I want to be very careful here because I am very sensitive uh, to, to this situation. I'm a parent and I, I think the liberals have probably painted themselves into a little bit of a corner by going all in on this because the, the polls bear out that families more or less uh, um, want some common sense approach here. And this policy on its own in a vacuum away from Danielle Smith uh, sort of resonates with parents. This, this idea that if you don't, that, that if, if you want to know that your, your kid is uh, having a gender identity issue um, and th- that somehow places the child at risk and this argument that, um, that, that parents will have a knee-jerk reaction to the point that they will put their child's life at risk is insulting to parents. You know, I, as a parent, it, uh, it's never occurred to me that I, I may have a trans child, but if mm-hmm. I did, I promise you I would love my child. And it's, I think a lot of parents are insulted at the, at the implication that they are the problem. 
Yeah. Uh, and so so I think she's going to get a lot of support for this. Also, the the the, <laughs> uh, the irony is not lost on me that that Marcy Ian uh, describes the, the the gentle tone of the announcement in gentle, dulcet tones herself in her reaction. And and the <laughs> the the the, the um, she's trying very hard not to draw mm. a line, but draws a line between Tucker. I mean, she essentially says Tucker Carlson, Carlson wrote this policy. And that's that's how I think we know that a big chunk of this election is going to be is going to be fought on uh, uh, on the Tories taking a lead from a, the, the right wing in America. That's just nonsense. And again, it's insulting. Don't call something. It's not. And don't treat me like I'm an idiot. Roy, I know you talked a lot about um, there were parental rights protests, if you will, in the fall. Um, and to Ben's point, this is this isn't all um, right wing U.S. style politics. There's elements of. Um, religious fundamentalism. There's elements of buying one side of this. There's a huge distinction between pronouns and surgeries. That's a huge leap. What did you make of the policy? And again, you've you've talked to Danielle lots. Uh, she used to be a chorus colleague of ours, so you know her well. What did you make of it? Well, I've invited the premier to be a guest on my program this weekend. We don't know yet whether that's okay. going to happen. But let me just go through this. Just some thoughts. Alberta is going to follow the lead of New Brunswick and Saskatchewan, and likely require parental notification and consent if their children wish to engage in name and or pronoun changes at school. That's for kids 15 years of age or younger. 16 and up, parental notification will be required, but parental consent will not. I think it's time to stay with what the Premier said and judge her and the policy, if you will, on what they're putting forward. Parents will have the choice to not allow their children to attend classes uh, discussing gender identity, sexual orientation, or human sexuality. There's the issue of changing of biological gender and the establishment of athletic competitions that are women only, excluding biologically stronger transgender female athletes, quote, end quote, from Premier Smith. At the same time, transgender athletes, says the Premier, will be assured of meaningfully participating in sports. Look, just like New Brunswick and Saskatchewan, there'll be a court challenge concerning this move by the Smith mm -hmm. government. Mm -hmm. I really want to hear parents' views, Greg and Ben. I hear everyone else's. As for the argument parents will make their children's lives miserable if they're made aware of a child's decision, there are laws on the books already, and there are children's aid societies in place to protect children from abusive parents. This yeah. has become this has yeah. become this is becoming a political argument designed to serve the needs of the next federal election. And that's wrong. And Greg, if I if I can jump in as yeah. well, yep. you know, this is these uh, the, the, the liberals and the progressive left are very happy to champion the, the progressive ideals of certain European countries uh, like like the, the, the Nordic countries. Uh, they are they are the tip of the sword at walking back some of these very progressive ideals that we were very quick to jump on. So they're very they're silent on that. I don't know how that squares with this the MAGA influence on this policy. And, and the second thing is I don't know how tenable um, the, the the left's argument is. Do they think that the, the parents are never going to find out that this is going to be a secret kept at school? 
what what happens when when parents see um, uh, their their child's TikTok and they're being referred to by a name that they did not give their child? This is this doesn't make any sense to me to say, oh, uh, we're going to we're going to take care of your kid because you can't take care of yourselves and you're never going to find out. Yeah. Sweden's a pioneer in LGBTQ rights, and uh, they're now restricting gender affirming treatments for minors because there's long term side effects and some people detransition. This is such a young process. We don't have 40, 50 years of data for this. So we tread carefully because they're not adults. It's that simple. No, this argument is only going to become louder and more political as we head towards the next federal election. Uh, I tell you who I loved last night. We got about three minutes left and he was he was loud, but he wasn't political. Music superstar Michael Bublé. I'm going to play this for the audience. I have no problem with this. I'm not a moralist. He wasn't driving. He didn't get in a scuffle. He didn't do anything wrong. Here's Michael Bublé at the NHL All-Star press conference. The answer is no. I will not be the oldest draft pick the Vancouver Canucks have ever taken at 48 years old. I know you and you. You're a really good hockey player. You got good hands, dude. You've got silky mitts, my brother. You are the first person who's ever told me that. Because I'm the first real ever hockey fan. Dude. My buddy told me this is just a microdose of mushrooms, and he was lying. So I'll be honest, I thought I was in Blades of Glory for most of the time that I was out there until it sort of settled down, and then I realized, holy I am at the NHL All-Star Game. It's we tough. literally are the heart and soul of these teams. And uh, if they win, it'll be because of us. And if they lose, it will be because of us. All of my, my text, it was people, congratulations, congratulations on being chosen to go to the All-Star Game. And I was like, congratulations, I'm a, I'm a superstar. Yeah. Um, ben, Ben, I, I, uh, good guy in the room. I, I'm not sure I would have passed him the puck last night. Um, but, but uh, I was, or put him on the power play. But I was highly entertained, and I like entertainment. Listen, he, he is one of the most entertaining people on the planet. Uh, I've, I've often said that uh, there's something, the, the, partic- <laughs> the particular, oh, first of all, I should say, he's one of my best friends. I was not the person who microdosed him yesterday, okay? <laughs> I, it was not me. But um, the, 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 the thing about standards singers is, by definition, they sing a lot of the same songs. There's a songbook, and they interpret them in their own way. They have their own originals, but the, there are some key anchor songs that you expect standard singers to be able to sing. Mm-hmm. What makes the difference between a guy who sings in a lounge in Niagara Falls and one of the biggest stars in the history of music is what they do in between the songs. And what Michael does is engage an audience better than anybody in the industry. He brings people in in a way that nobody else does. And he did the same thing yesterday, whether he was microdosing or not. He is a charming, funny, engaging person. And I could have listened to that forever. Um, Roy, I only got 45 seconds, but Michael Buble for Coach's Corner. We've been looking to replace Don for five years now. I think I think we found our guy. Yeah, I think so. I can just add this. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed it the first time I heard it, and I really enjoyed it this morning. So thank you for playing it. That was just super. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, hey, I know you get the big names, so maybe a Daniel Smith segment followed by Michael Buble. And I'm not recommending together, not in this, not in this particular moment, but I'll be listening to more to see who you got, Roy. All right. Thank you, Greg. Good thank you, you both. Then.